Hiya. You're back with The Jewel Case. It's another week and I have another special guest. You're here with me, John Darcy, and in my company today is the lovely Richard Davis from Heliopause. Hello. And uh, Rich is going to share with us his musical influences, but also some tracks from his brand new album. And right now we're hearing Silent Echoes. was Silent Echoes from the new album by Heliopause. The new album's called How Can We Laugh after this and it is available on the Heliopause Bandcamp page. What's the address for that? It's heliopause.bandcamp.com Easy. And I guess you can just Google it, Heliopause Bandcamp, that sort of thing. So uh, how can we laugh after this? And Heliopause is essentially Richard Davis and he's with me right now. Richard, tell us all about this new album. Where do we start? I made the album at the towards the end of last summer uh, in Brighton, um, which I'd been living in for six years, and I've actually just moved back to Northern Ireland. Oh yeah, I've totally jumped the gun. <laughs> so actually, Rich uh, is from here. Where, where about you from in Northern Ireland? Antrim. So wait, Antrim's a rock city or not a rock city? It was mad. 
at one point. <laughs> oh, what happened? Um, I don't know. I don't know, just wanted to get out of there as soon as they, they could. And when did you get out of there? I moved out of there whenever I was 18, as soon as I got a legal chance to, and <laughs> moved over to London to study art. So, ah, yeah. and where did you do that? Uh, Camberwell in London. I did my foundation there. It's like a really great place. Um, yeah, in Camberwell, of all places. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it and just had a really great experience. But then moved up to Norwich to do my degree in animation, which I still do animation projects for people. Um, and then moved back to London for a year and was working there and working in London's no crack at all. Right. So then I decided to move back to Belfast. It's all work and no fun because it's so expensive to live. Yeah, it's really hard to have fun when you're kind of like trying to live just by earning. And so. were you working at animation and doing like creative projects or were you um, like serving coffee or waiting tables or what, how were you making ends meet? Oh, I had to like a good sort of media job. Kind of, I had to go out and record um, lawyers like, oh, wow. dude, it was for like the first online law school and oh. so back in the day and I had to go out and record lawyers essentially people would go online and they would download the materials course materials so you're like your books in pdf format and then your lectures in audio oh. so I would be the one who would go out and record lawyers giving their subjects or talking their, um, about their subjects recording them and going back to the, the um, office and editing them in which case they'd be uploaded this is like an open university type thing, or it wasn't that. It wasn't them, but someone else. Like yeah, a, it was like a private. Oh, they call them MOOCs now. Massive online um, courses or like open courses or something. Yeah, it would be something like that. It was quite a big sort of thing. The guy who owned the company used to be a lawyer, and then he turned into that side of it whenever the internet began, and he just saw a little opening for. In online law courses, the dot com boom. Yeah, <laughs> so you were taking advantage of that using your creative multimedia skills to do this. Yeah, uh, but you, I, what? Well, eventually, London just wore you down. Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> it was a good job, but I wasn't entirely happy there, and it was just yeah, expensive. And London's the kind of place if you're not happy there, or if you don't really know what you're doing, you're kind of better off not there. Like it's really. It's kind of difficult if you're not on top of it and if, you know, so it's better off just coming back to Belfast. And at what stage was that then? Uh, that that would, when you moved back that time, would that have been when I got to know you originally? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I moved back to Belfast, i say back, it's whenever I first moved to Belfast was in 2001 at the end of the year. And then slowly got to know everyone through working in Clements. I think it was like a hub for like any creative person at the time and got to meet up or meet loads of musicians and artists and it was just great and so I was in Belfast from then until 2007 so yeah I would I met you and pretty much everyone over that time and you were playing shows as Heliopause and there was a little group around you then like Heliopause as a live act was a couple of people yeah you make it kind of sound like a little um little like a warm jacket of, like <laughs> yeah musicians a little, that, well cozy. that's what it is a band like a cozy <laughs> warm thing right yeah. um but it was sort of you writing the songs and you producing the material like at home or were you in a studio at this stage oh no never never a studio um just at home the interesting thing is my first live gig was actually 10 years ago uh on the 15th of february which is why i decided to release the album out on that date 
this month. Oh, wow. So that's, for me, it was kind of like the, the connection where for no, everyone else doesn't mean anything, but like I wanted to do it that way. And that's why I wanted to have the album launch at the Mac this, this month, which we'll, we'll talk about. But I was trying to write songs at home and um, it was, yeah, it was all kind of very personal and a bit ropey. Uh, but it was my friend Pixie Setar who actually got her first gig lined up at the Pavilion. It was supporting Barry Peak, and shout out Barry Peak, Torgus Valley Reds, Total King, yeah. And um, so then she asked me uh, to get off my backside and do my first live gig with her for a kind of support. And so that was it. That was like I had to get a band together. So at the start, it was me, Nal Harden, and Michael Kinlock. And um, yeah, just got some songs together, and that's kind of really kickstarted me into being a proper musician. And as a special treat for our listeners, you are sharing. This is like an exclusive. It's, I'm so well, that's excited. One word for it. <laughs> I haven't had an exclusive on the Jail Case yet. This is our first exclusive. This is a really early Heliopause track, not released on anything. But uh, well, you can tell the story, but you just told me there off air that this was recorded like at Queen's University or something, yeah, with a, just for fun, with a friend. Yeah, somebody, I can't remember, I can't remember the guy's name. We just went into Queen's, some guy who was studying there and just brought us in to record two tracks. And I really can't remember his name, unfortunately. But, you know, this might have been on some DIY CD at the very start, but I don't think there's any reference to this online anywhere. And uh, yeah, so this is a track called The Tug. Um, one of the first ones that we, one of the first ones I guess I would have written uh, as a musician for Heliopause, but one of the first ones we got to play live as well. So this is the first recording that we did, yeah, of the first track. The first live. recording of the first track, yeah, and I, you're hearing it here first 10 years later. Yeah, yeah. Heliopause, The Tug.
So that was The Tug by Heliopause, a.k.a. Richard Davis, and he's here with me. You are listening to The Jewel Case with me, John Darcy, on Lisburn's 98 FM, Bangor FM, and FM 105 in Downpatrick. That's right, we're syndicated across the three best community radio stations in Northern Ireland. And if you've missed any of the previous episodes, you can check them out on iTunes and on Audioboom. Just search The Jewel Case. We'll stay with your early career just for the meantime, because you've were just telling me about some of your earlier influences and I've heard the name of this band before but I've never actually checked them out and when we listened to them just before we started recording I realised oh my god they sound so much like Healy Paws not in like not like you sound so much like them but there's a real like uh, like an echo there um, so let's listen to some um, of the American analogue set and how, how did you get into these guys originally? Uh, again, I guess it, go, when it goes back to working at Clements and just like the people who worked there had such great taste in music and just introduced me to a lot of really great music and this was one of them. And I just clicked with them straight away because the guy's voice is just so soft and the whole music is very ambient, just very chilled out. And it just, it's, it is, it's very similar to what I do, but it was the first time I realised that like my singing style is very soft and it was the first time I realised that that's actually okay. You know that I can sing like that and it's fine and you know I can write music that is appropriate for that and it was yeah just really one of the uh, main inspiring bands that kind of gave me the the confidence to to write music and perform I think so yeah we'll have a listen to this so this is come home baby Julie come home American analog set there, uh, come home, baby Julie, come home. And you were saying that when you heard the American analog set for the first time, it was like, oh, this is like me, and I can do this. This it's okay to do this. And from talking to musicians, I always hear that sort of story of one artist or a couple of artists where you hear them for the first time, and you're like, oh, that really resonates with me. Like I, I can do that, or it's it's okay for me to do my thing because. There's a precedent for that there. Actually, just recently, I first listened to Arab Strap for the first time. And I actually retrospectively had that, oh, I can do this, because but I have already been doing this sort of thing. And uh, that really resonated with me. There's the classic story of like, you know, everyone hearing punk for the first time and, oh, I can actually play guitar and like get just form a band and just do it. Your take on the American Analog set is interesting because it was to do with the vocal sound and the delicacy of that. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I think that's kind of it. It's just really important. You know, I remember whenever I was 18 and had moved to London, actually, and just was trying to play some songs, people would say to me, like, oh, you can't sing. Like, And not that my voice is awful, but I think whenever I was trying to sing other people's songs, and that's all I did, you know, just do cover tracks at home, like, it, my voice doesn't suit that. So whenever I sort of would sing quite low and soft, and then I hear people that is, you know, that... You know, I'd hear people that actually do sing soft as well. I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. You're right. It is delicate. And I think that's it's something that I, I do. And they're doing it and they're really popular. And that's just really nice. Um, 
but also like it kind of the delicate side of it as well kind of the American Analog set was a really big inspiration in terms of sort of the vocal side of things uh, but musically I guess it was the Smashing Pumpkins that I was a huge fan of whenever I was a teenager, teenager so um, it was I started off with such a, a specific kind of finger picking style and so it was that sort of delicate finger picking style merged with the soft vocals was where I kind of begun writing music but it was actually it was the song Stumbling by the Smashing Pumpkins that was kind of the one where I I don't know there's something about that finger picking style that I mimicked and then took on and from that it sort of allowed me to be able to write my own music in a way so I sort of was well into it which I've kind of I've developed from since but like that was really exactly those two bands kind of where I kind of really started my own little magic Bottoms in the bathroom shaking out the loose teeth Sally's in the stirrups claiming her own destiny well, I can empathise with that because Smashing Pumpkins tonight, that little um, guitar riff in the verse, that little triplets, ding, 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 ding. That was one of the first things I learned to play, finger picking on guitar, and it stuck with me. Just those, those little sort of really simple progressions. Um, so Billy Corrigan, we're thinking of you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Mogwai is another large influence on your music whenever it comes to, I guess, um, tempo and feel and the tone of electric guitar. I can hear resonances there. Have you just been into Mogwai forever or when did you get into them? Yeah, from really early on. Like, um, I think one of the first albums that I really was obsessed um, a buy was Cody uh, Come On Die Young and I got that on cassette and just listened to it relentlessly like just over and over and over and over I just loved it and it's very it's very melancholy like it's very kind of depressing you sort of listen to, listen to it these days and you're like whoa it's really heavy but I, I love that and um, that's the kind of stuff I really I really enjoy and um, and I think it was because the songs can be quite long but they're also very uh, you know they take the time that they need yeah and I feel like my songs are kind of like that too. Whenever I sort of look back to songs that I write, um, you know, they're very kind of slow builds, you know, and so there's no sort of sense of immediacy with them, which sometimes if people are looking for tracks for radio or like the fun stuff, mine's not that. Mm. But it's really nice, you know, you sort of look up to people like Mogwai who, you know, just write these songs and, you know, they take dedicated listening. I mean, obviously they have tracks which are like go crazy loud and soft and that's not what I do. But um, there's sort of ideas of what they're about, which I really love. And I mean, they've been around for like 20 years and like, and I've seen them so many times. And every time, like I saw them last year in Brighton at the Brighton Dome and just, they blew my mind. Like every time I see them and they're still like, even the last album, Rave Tapes, maybe if they've released something since, but um, just amazing. Like after all this time, they're still writing, they're still writing powerful powerful tracks and powerful albums and it's just it's great there's a particular Mogwai track we can maybe have a listen to yeah there's it's kind of again 20 years of Mogwai it's kind of hard to sort of choose a track and they're all quite long and all the rest but there's one that kind of stands out to me recently uh, I saw them whenever I saw them play in Brighton last um, they have one track which is Teenage Exorcist and 
it kind of just struck me because I thought, whoa, they're singing and the vocals are actually clear as well, and it's very poppy. Um, so it kind of just stands out. So I'm just going to choose that just because it's one of the more recent ones I've been listening to a lot. So, I mean, this isn't by no means representative of Mogwai's ba- massive back catalogue, yeah, but uh, maybe if all, you're but familiar with Mogwai but not, like, the deep cuts, this might give you a nice little Yeah, this would be the most successful. I've only seen Mogwai once, and it was at Bell Sonic in Belfast. Would that have been around the time you were in Belfast, or who'd you flew the nest by then? No. You I, maybe have meant... <clears throat> I might have been around for that, actually, because when was that, though? Oh, it was maybe the first Bell Sonic the year that they had like Flaming Lips. Actually, that was the same gig. It was Flaming Lips. And oh, I, did, I saw Flaming Lips. So would have been at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, I, I just, I couldn't really get into it. I had, I had only listened to a little bit of Mogwai before, um, but for some reason, I just wasn't in the right mood for that. That would have um, been a bit of a tricky place, maybe, to watch them. Yeah. You know, festivals can be hard places to watch a band for the first time. Um, of almost need the sort of dedicated space of their it's own. really like hit or miss I find sometimes it's the absolute best place to uh, hear a, a new act for the first time they can really just captivate you um, yeah. like I saw Sophie and Stevens for the first time at a really massive music festival but it was perfect it was one of the most amazing live performances I've ever seen I've seen him twice now and he's just the first time was with the album what was the album he released not the latest one Carrie and Lyle but the one before The Age of Ads was that tour was just mental like I, we, I my jaw was on the floor the whole time but in awe of that guy and his music is just brilliant yeah that's where I saw him and after, uh, first time I'd even really listened to the music I'd obviously heard the buzz about Come On Feel the Illinois and uh, the Michigan album and after I saw the show, I just delved into his whole back catalogue, got really into like the instrumental stuff that he did, like the experimental film work and everything. Just like his his whole back catalogue is amazing. I can't talk yeah. enough about Sophie and Stevens and that show. I've already spent half a show talking about it with my friend Kieran Logue. <laughs> so if you want to listen like again to that every every time, yeah, <laughs> just bring him up in conversation. Um, so I mean, is that is he like an influence on your later work or very much? So actually, and funny enough, I hadn't really considered him whenever I was choosing music for this, but he's. A huge influence for the same reason he does really beautiful delicate guitar music lovely voice like he is I'm definitely a huge fan of his is there maybe a song um, from Carrie and Lowell or one of the other albums that you'd like to have a wee listen to now yeah like I, I'm not I mean I love the new album but I'm not really familiar off the top of my head of any track names so one of the ones I really like it's a favourite track of mine It's but it is very dark topic um, but it's John Wayne Gacy Jr. of um, Illinois and it, it's sort of I think it's about a serial killer maybe so it, it's it's just this really weird balance of like really beautiful music vocals but just with a really dark undertone of what it's about but I think it's just a really lovely lovely tune 
father was a drinker, and his mother cried in bed. Folding John Wayne's T-shirts when the swing set hit his head. The neighbors they adored him for his humor and his conversation. Look underneath the house there, find the few. Living things rotting fast in their sleep. All the dead. Twenty-seven people, even more. They were boys with their cars, summer jobs. Oh my God. Dressed up like a clown for them, with his face painted white and red. And on his best behavior, in a dark room on the bed, he kissed them all. He'd killed ten thousand people with a slight. Of his hand, running far, running fast to the death. He took off all their clothes for them. He put a cloth on their lips. Quiet hands, quiet kiss on the So that was John Wayne Gacy Jr.、Um, by Sufian Stevens, and Sufian actually sort of there's there's a new act who I I find reminds me a lot of Sufian Stevens. Maybe he's not new, but I feel like he's new because I only heard of him like last year. Perfume Genius. Yes. Um, and I feel like there's a little bit of correlation between their two、uh, their practices, for want of a better word. Yeah. Do you know I never. Yeah, I guess there is. I never would have put the two and two together. Like Perfume Genius is a musician. Is it Mike Head Mike Hadrius or something? I can't. Remember. I don't know what his real name is called exactly or how to pronounce it.、Um, but Perfume Genius, I discovered when he brought out his most recent album,、uh, Too Bright, and I just the first track on it was just his voice in the piano, and I thought. I I really love this, and then it cuts straight into Queen track two, and, and it's 
complete clash. Like straight away, it was a bit sort of electronic and just guitars. And I just thought, mm-hmm. I don't know if I, I don't, I don't understand this. And it took me a bit to warm to him. But within two weeks, he just happened to be touring through Brighton, and a friend, um, Stuart, just got me in to see him. And I was just blown away, like because I think, like where you're coming from, like his earlier stuff, he began just as a a male performer on a piano. And so it was that kind of lovely soft vocals on our just like lovely piano tracks. But then the most recent albums kind of developed into more louder guitars and he's almost got more performative and more confident with what he's doing. So he was really, I've seen him a couple of times, maybe three times in the last year now, like, and just a, a huge, become a huge fan of his. And I think watching him live and just watching his kind of confidence on stage just doing these weird kind of like shuffles and dances um, and just like strutting his stuff is this really like I, I find it really inspiring because like as a musician I would love to be that kind of performative on stage like I've, and traditionally I've just always been standing at the mic with my acoustic guitar and singing by the mic and I find it very stiff myself like and I'd like to have, be a bit more flexible and more movement and just you know, just enjoy being on the stage more, which I think I'm kind of getting to with this new music and the new sort of band setup. I sort of listen up a wee bit, so to speak, but there's people like Perfume Genius and, you know, I'm going to name check Jenny Havallen here too because she's got quite a performance art side to her live set that, you know, um, I saw them both play together. Jenny Havallen supported Perfume Genius, which is why... Sort of have the two of them in my mind together. Well, let's have a wee back to back then. We have a track from Perfume Genius first. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Again, he's got so many great tracks, but I think if we go in on his second album um, and play a song called Hood, it might be a nice place to start. You would never call me baby if you knew. by Perfume Genius and uh, we were giving a little mention to Jenny Haval I've played her on the Jewel Case before 
Uh, where's Val from? Again, uh, Nordic sort of yeah, region. Yeah, in my head, I'm thinking Denmark. I might not be 100% about that. If you'd like to let us know where Jenny Haval's from, you can get in touch with me at John Darcy Music and let us know. Um, but her her music, her, her lyrics especially, it, it's kind of conceptual. Um, I mean, it's about feminism and about sexuality um, and uh, quite dark lyrics a lot of the time as well. Um, like the album Innocence is Kinky even, the, uh, the title is really suggestive too. Uh, so what do we want to hear from Jenny Haval tonight? It was kind of hard to choose a, a lot of the album. I mean, I think the album was based on a performance art installation that she created. So, and that really shines through in her live set and the album. There's like a real nice balance of sort of arty tracks and then more just poppy tracks. So this one has a nice balance. It's called Heaven. I think it'll just let it speak for itself. has shaped the new album? That's a good question. I guess in the last year, um, one of the main sort of bands that I got really into was Warpaint. Because uh, there's a girl who I'd sort of, I'd tried to get a band together a year, a few years, a couple of years ago in Brighton. Um, we had two practices and then she, the girl in the band left to go to Berlin. So then me and the drummer just thought, okay, well, let's just leave this. And it, nothing ever happened out of it, but it was the girl who, Myrna, who said, oh, I love your new stuff. It kind of sounds like Warpaint. 
and I'd never heard of them at the time. So then whenever I went to listen to them, I was like, these guys are just, well, girls are just brilliant. And I've just become really obsessed with them. So I think in, in some ways, being told that my music sounds like them, I'm sure by listening to them, some of that has fed back in uh, to sort of like into writing this album, but it wasn't like a, yeah, a definite sort of influence. I've seen Warpaint a couple of times and there's really good like energy on stage um, amazing musicians like and so, so groovy for what could be considered sort of like indie rock kind of thing from the outset but it's it's deeper than that there's like deep there's real deep grooves going on there yeah I think and that's what I really like about them and some other acts that I've been listening to because they sort of involve more like electronica even if it's quite subtle it's there so uh, another act that I, I got into uh, magical clouds and also forest swords as well it's quite dark electronic and because I've been trying to step closer into more electronic writing in my music I think like listening to all this stuff has sort of been influencing me so let's talk about the new album because we skirted around the issue that you have this new album <laughs> but you're actually launching it um, coming up really soon in the Mac in Belfast but let's go back a bit further because you did sort of like a fundraising thing to get this album off the ground. Yeah. And tell us a bit about that. Yeah, that's right. I um, did a campaign on Pledge Music, which was successful. And hey, yeah, it was Congrats. thanks to everyone who pledged. You made me happy. Um, it was a really sort of pinnacle moment because I think the last few years I'd really struggled with music and everything in Brighton just, just seemed to be failing and I was trying to write some songs and everything I tried to do just wasn't working and it was just, it was really, it wasn't making me very happy about being a musician so I just felt like I had this, a lot of the, a lot my second album and the subsequent EPs I all recorded at home and so it was it was very easy for me you know being skint I could just record stuff at home and get it out and that's fine because I could still be productive but whenever it came down to it especially the new stuff I was writing I just thought it has such a certain sound with the electronic side of things it just it needed to be recorded professionally to give it sort of this um the quality it deserved and I just thought I cannot afford to do this so I I thought there's no harm in trying yeah. put together a crowdfunding campaign and if it works brilliant if it doesn't I'll find a way I'll just do it myself but I was really amazed by the generosity of people like I was I think I got like 130% of the target like it was really over way more than I expected and I mean all I sort of needed every penny of that to kind of produce the ple- pledges and get the music recorded but um yeah, it was just really inspiring to know that people were there saying, yes, we do want to hear this, and yes, we, we do want to help you out. Like, the confidence boost for me as a musician and just generally was phenomenal. For sure, well, there's tons of people who have so much goodwill towards you and your music um, and Northern Ireland, but I imagine from you being in Brighton as well, there's probably a ton of people there who want to support your music too. What sort of things were they pledging for, these pledgers or Kickstarters or Indiegogos or wherever they were? Yeah, well, everything from digital copy of the music to CD, um, handwritten lyrics. I guess a lot of this stuff is very familiar, kind of, um, you could maybe do a live performance for you. Um, you didn't do like dinner with Rich? No, I don't know who would really want that, to be fair. 
Um, I thought we were going to get pizza after, you know? Yeah. Oh, this is different. So those kind of things, like uh, CD books, lyric books. But I also had a, dig- a, a ukulele that I'd made into, like, converted into digital ukulele. And I sort of built this in my master's course in digital art, which is why I moved to Brighton in the first place. So I got this old broken ukulele and loaded it with um, sensors and speaker and you know, you could trigger MP3 files and just play these kind of weird sounds. And I've seen this in action because when you were back in Belfast, you did a little bit talk about this yeah. and explained it. And this is a really interesting tangent to go on because aside from Heliopause and the great pop music you make with that, um, you make this really interesting multimedia digital art, which involves uh, actual physical artifacts like guitars or ukuleles and lights like LED lights and different coloured lights and sound that you've recorded um, which actually bears a lot of the textures and melodies and chord structures sort of that you play with heliopause and so you turn those into sort of loops and different nice little gestures that people can activate along with the lights by interacting with these physical objects I hope I've described that in a sort of nice way that you're not cringing now no no not Um, at all and one of the first time I saw it was you did um, an installation in PS Squared Gallery in Donegal Street in Belfast. And we walked in, it's a white room, and there's three guitars hanging on the wall. Sorry, there's five guitars hanging on the wall. And each one of them has like a little speaker and lights sort of attached. Some of them are a little bit broken, like missing parts and missing strings. And we walk up to them and then they start playing. <laughs> And then we realised that if when we wave in front of the sound holes of the different guitars, we can actually like make these really nice heliopause little loops and we can make a little song by playing multiple guitars at once just by waving in front of them. So it's really uh, just beautiful gesture to just wave and make this music really magically. Just as a side note, there was like a print screen workshop happening at the same time and I made a little drawing of three of the guitars on the wall. And Nate made that into like a little uh, ink blot screen thing. And you've come into my house uh, to record the jail case here. And you noticed that it's framed on yeah, my hall. Yeah, forgotten about it's it. It's framed yeah. on the wall. And uh, we just had this great memory of the day. Yeah. So uh, you're, are, you in, are you ever going to like try and incorporate this a little bit more and maybe move this interaction into the live shows with Heliopause or maybe bring more of the Heliopause songs into the gallery? Well, I think, yeah, that's a very interesting um, question because whenever I started the Masters, one of the main um, projects I wanted to achieve out of that was to have more of an interactive live show as a musician. But then I think as I did the course, I thought, hang on, this is a fine art course and you have to create installations. So I'll just do, I'll probably do the music thing anyway, but I'll just build an interactive installation. But it made me sort of question, um, no, it made me sort of think about how I present my music. And it was doing some sound editing um, workshops uh, where we were sort of asked to go out and record some samples like so I just went into church and recorded some O's like oh loads of different notes and took them back and how I edited them actually kind of started to really make me think about the possibilities of using my voice in more electronic ways of writing music so that was kind of like the starting point for then the Lumo tape and then subsequently this album Um, but it also made me think about how I could bring my music to people and let them interact with it in a different way. Mm-hmm. 
So it's something I'm really interested in. And like you're talking about the guitar sculpture, it's a way, like they, uh, you sort of, they contained um, samples from my music. And so I take songs that I've, I've written and sort of break them apart and take little samples from them and then place them within the sculpture or the installation. So then you as an audience member can walk in and trigger the different sounds and sort of hear what you want and mix it with what you want. So it's kind of like your own sort of, you can listen to tracks or my own sort of compositions how you would like to, you know, I sort of present you with some bits and you put it together. And that's what I, in, in a very lovely kind of visual way that, you know, so far has been quite musical anyway with the, the guitars, but like it's, I definitely want to do more of that and really explore that idea of like you, how you listen to music and how more you can just have fun with it. Like it was really playful, like, I remember the owner of the PS Squares, Peter, his daughter, was loved it. Loved, you know, she was just waving her hand in front and hearing these tunes. And I think it, it just crosses that age barrier of like kids can really enjoy it, adults can enjoy it. Is this something really immediate and playful, a bit visceral with it as well? Like it's so interesting, um, and especially now. Don't want to talk about the music industry and the state of play in the music industry, but I I personally think that this is really interesting. Uh, area or ground to work in um, different medias and modes to present your work that you're creating for like heliopause uh, you're creating this delicate um, sumptuous layered textures for your music and then people can interact with this uh, and pe- break it apart in their own way I'd be really interested to see in the future how maybe you can turn this into like a release of some sort and not not even to be a release maybe physically or digitally I'm not quite sure like people are releasing apps now like Radiohead had their app and it was sort of like a game and in a way your installation's a bit like a game too or is it an instrument and these little borderlines where you're sort of sitting in between like instrument game song app website like trying to combine all these ways to interact with the music, I think is maybe a really interesting rabbit hole to dive down and see what happens. Yeah, I think that's really interesting with digital art and digital technology in general. You know, all the lines are blurring in a way of just being able to write music for like a physical installation setting. Like, you know, like people write for opera these days so they do all these different outlets I think yeah that's definitely something I, I like I said I want to really explore Now I realise we're like treading on thin ice because a lot of people hear the word insulation and just like take a sharp intake of breath <laughs> and wonder oh god am I going to have to interact with this am I going to have to do something or well, what do I do or yeah. what is this conceptual art nonsense um, but really I think w- w- when we're saying installation we just mean like an open space that you can design yourself and design how the audience engages and interacts and, and makes it more of a bespoke experience experience that isn't your standard I'm going to go to a show and I'm going to have a few drinks and I know there's going to be a support act on at this time I know when to sit down when to stand up when to clap when to leave and it's that defined space of the of the performance in a concert hall. It's, it's the concert of listening, they call it. Um, and then there's like the everyday of listening as we're on the tube or listening to our headphones. All these different defined spaces where we know how to act and know how to engage with music because it's such a set done thing. When you then co and design an installation, then you can reconfigure that and make people think about it in a different way and reconsider how they listen are they listening or are they engaging and maybe they're not thinking about this consciously but subconsciously they're having to sort of rewire 
their brain a little bit yeah because it's not just your standard uh, concert experience yeah and I, the other thing I like or I, I've tried to introduce into my artwork is this you know you can it's just very immediate and playful you know I try not to sort of put any concepts on it that would sort of put people off it's just very fun it's music it's lights um it's very instant but also I like the idea of challenging people you know one person can go up and trigger off a couple of sounds off a few different objects but I like the idea that you kind of need there's space done enough that you kind of need more than one person to hear more layers Mm. so I like the idea then you have to actually work with other people to hear more or hear more yeah, more layers and, and get more out of it. It's like an ecosystem and the people that you're with shape your listening experience. And I was talking a couple episodes ago to Paul Stapleton from the Sonic Art Research Centre and he was describing this big, large metal instrument that he created, which was far too large for one person to play on their own. That's exactly what you're describing, that it, it takes takes a village to play this instrument. Um, So we we got on a little bit of a tangent there about your digital art, which I find really interesting. Um, But you've raised some nice funds um, from supporters and fans, uh, fans who are wanting, you know, like personalized messages and lyrics and notebooks and things. And uh, and you delivered. You've recorded the album and uh, they've they've been sent the music. And how was the reaction to that? It was quiet at the start <laughs> it was funny because like the whenever I, I was felt under pressure by myself to release the album to the pledgers and whenever I did I didn't really get much feedback and very few people downloaded it I had the fear for a second I thought oh but this is what they paid for but um and you know maybe they don't want it or maybe I did I just didn't know what was going on but slowly people sort of got their copies and I got really good feedback from lots of different people which is just like thank goodness so um I sort of held off the proper release until February this month, but um, yeah, it was kind of, I think everyone has sort of got the little, you know, the canvas bags and all the little bits and pieces and everyone's really happy to finally receive all that stuff. And have you had much feedback in terms of the new sounds that you're adding, these new influences that maybe have taken Heliopause in a multifarious direction? Do you like that word? I love it. I'm going to have to look it up. Um, I... I think one of the main sort of words that kind of is kind of reiterated uh, with people's responses is sort of like this, the confidence in how it sounds. Like it's just, um, you know, because it was recorded professionally uh, by this guy, uh, Jean-Emmanuel um, in Brighton, and um, he did a really great job. And I think it just because it was recorded really well and because of this there's more sort of strength and confidence behind the songwriting and how I present it. I think that's the one thing that people are really noting about the album in general, which uh, it's really great to hear. You know, it sort of, it sounds like I've got this, like, you know, it's presenting something like a really stronger, a stronger sound or like a stronger album than I have done in a while. So do you feel like maybe uh, I'm feeling the cliche today. You've clearly had a defined voice as Heliopause. It's really recognizable music. Do you feel like you're finding a voice again, even more so like you're refinding or refining your voice? Cliche or no, like that's a really interesting question because I still feel like I haven't quite nailed it yet after all this time. Like this is my 13th release. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> for, a dig- for for an animator. <laughs> well, yeah. We haven't even touched on your We haven't even talked about practice. animation yet. <clears throat> but in terms of music, like this is the 13th lucky um, release that I've done. And I still think I've, I've just 
kind of nearly got this sound that I've always been wanting to do, but I feel like maybe the next one will be the one. But I think that's just the artist in me, though. Like, yeah. I, every time I do something, like, every artist will be self-critical, more so about their own work than anything, like, anyone else might be of it. Um, so I, I'm really happy with how this sounds. I'm really, yeah, it's great. But I, I just think there's, for some reason, there's something, I don't know, I couldn't even tell you what it is, but there's something in me that just thinks I'm really proud of this, but I still feel like the next one, the next one will be, like, the definitive Heliopause album. Uh, well, let's. It's been amazing chatting to you. Um, I always love chatting to you because there's there's always something interesting that comes up. Um, but thanks so much for coming on and uh, sharing the new album. I'm so glad because now I've got a free copy of the album. Cheers, Rich. Uh, <laughs> but I will be. I'll be at the album launch in the Mac. And remind us when that is. Yeah, it's uh, this Saturday, uh, the 27th uh, of February, um, and it's ten pounds. And it's going to be really great, actually, because it'll be my album launch, which hopefully should be really great fun. But uh, it's also um, Pixie Saitar is going to be supporting and she's releasing her album on the exact same night. Now, she, we both did our first gig together 10 years ago on the 15th of February. So whenever I said to her, look, you might want your own glory with your album, but if you want to do your album launch on the same night as mine, just for like, you know, she was just all over it. She said, that sounds like a great idea. It's a decade anniversary. Yeah, and we've both got new albums as well. So, like, it's going to be a really great night. Like, her new stuff, I've, I've heard some tracks off her new album. It's sounding really delicious. Like, um, she's got, like, Ben, Chris McCory, and some other artists on it. It just sounds lush. So, I think overall, like, it'll be such a lovely night of music. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm looking forward to getting stuck into your album now because uh, you didn't even let me hear it before we started today. Uh, you're going to let me hear another song just to finish. But thanks again, Rich. If, if people want to get in contact with you um, in the coming weeks or months or years, um, how do they do so? I would say the best point of reference is heliopause.co.uk. I'm all over social media, so you'll be able to find me. But that website is a very basic one page, has all. Great. I love that. So go to home camp, uh, heliopause.co.uk to uh, keep up with Rich and his movements. And you can catch him again at the Mac this Saturday night. We'll leave you with a track from the new album. It's called Falling Part 3. I never said thanks for that. Can I say thank you for having me? Oh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Alright. No, thanks thanks for having me on the show. It's been really great chatting to you. Yeah, and I'll get you on again sometime, I'm Please. sure. I will be very happy to chat to you again on the show. Well seeing you've released thirteen albums in what however many years, you'll probably have another album out uh, in two months' time, so let's schedule in. <laughs> Give it three. Give it three. <laughs> night night.